As you know, we're, we're moving through the Gospel of Luke. Our, it's our commitment that every word is true, and so every word is preached. That's our commitment. Our commitment is that God's authority comes through God's word. And as we commit ourselves to knowing what God says, then we will be submitting ourselves to his authority and following in his steps. That's our desire. Now we're in a new phase of our study. We've been kind of taking larger chunks, trying to get a broad strokes, broad view of uh, the Gospel of Luke and looking at, at multiple verses at the same time. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at two verses, taking it phrase by phrase, trying to unpack the, the significance of those phrases, especially as they relate to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and the correlation of that ministry to us who call themselves followers of God. The phrase that we're going to be focusing on this morning is in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, and uh, that is on page 860 in your pew Bibles. But it's uh, simple enough for us to understand because it goes like this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now, what do you know about the Holy Spirit? What is your theology of the Holy Spirit? Think we have a pretty robust pneumatology from the New Testament, but I would expect or suspect that most of us have a very limited and superficial pneumatology of the Old Testament. But as these individuals from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth heard the words of Isaiah 61 read to them, and Jesus applying these words to himself, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What were they expecting? What did they anticipate? What did did they believe was going to be true about this ministry of Christ and how it would show up in his life, especially in relation to them and then in relation to Israel and also in relation to the world? This morning, what I'd like to do is help to develop and fill out for us a more robust pneumatology. We can't begin to to tap into the extent or the depth of this truth, this doctrine today, but but hope to fill it out for you a little bit more because I I want you to understand that your doctrine informs your behavior. What you believe about God will bear fruit in how you live. And so if you have a a defective doctrine, a defective theology, you're going to have a defective spiritual life. And, and, And just this past week, as I was thinking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, especially in the Old Testament, I came face to face with how little I know about the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. If, if I were to, to challenge you or invite you, maybe that's a better word. It's a less, uh, less combative, okay? If I were to invite you to stand up and help to develop this, this doctrine of the Old Testament, uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, what would we say? What would we point to as 
well, the Spirit did this, and the Spirit did this, and the Spirit did this. I can look at this verse, and, and I can see the correlation between the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament and the work of the Spirit in the New Testament, and especially then how it relates to the believer. My guess is that, like me, that would be very difficult for us to do. It's not so different from what the Apostle Paul experienced in, in Ephesus. Paul's on his third missionary journey, and, and as he's making his way to Ephesus, he has a, a conversation with a group of disciples who were there. In Acts chapter 19, it says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is such a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, uh, and he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, to John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, the prominence of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is perhaps contrasted by the obscurity of the, of the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. And these believers who were believers in the Word of God and were disciples of John the Baptist believed in all the things of the Old Testament but had a very faulty and very limited perception of who the Holy Spirit was in his ministry. And it's not a whole lot different from Nicodemus that we're going to come to in just a, a, a little bit, who was, by the way, an Old Testament uh, Jew living in a New Testament time. This transition period before Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and ascended to the Father. And so Nicodemus, while in the Gospel of John, is still, for us, an Old Testament saint in that respect. And so we come to understand that for John, or for, for Nicodemus, who was in the most prominent place of religious establishment in Jerusalem, should have known better, and yet he too was also had a defective understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I want to spend just a little time this morning. I want to spend some time informing our theology, recognizing that our theology plays out in behavior, plays out in action. And I think we, it's important for us to recognize the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament because it's going to help us realize the consistent testimony of God working in the hearts of men to draw people to himself, to create within them spiritual life, and that the program in the Old Testament, the means of salvation, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him to righteousness, right? Well, how did he believe? He didn't believe on his own. He didn't flip a switch and decide one day to wake up and, wow, I think today I'm going to believe in God. No, it was a work of the Spirit that we're going to see that God is working in his heart to draw him to faith and help to activate in his life the faith that he needed so he could trust God with big things and then to live the kind of consistent testimony, consistent life that would 
help him be exemplary in his believing in God that wasn't just a one-time moment, but was the expression of life that happened day after day after day after day, where new truth was revealed to him, new opportunities to step in, and Abraham believed. So go with me on a mini tour of the Old Testament, and, and let's look at some things that the, that the Holy Spirit does for Old Testament believers. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. That's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. First, I want you to recognize the Spirit speaks the words of God. That's the Spirit's job. <laughs> Just like we see in the New Testament, where the New Testament prophets and apostles and pastors and teachers are informed by the Spirit to speak the Word of God and speak the words of God that's inscripturated, the Old Testament prophets did the same. And you know this. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. This is David's parting words at the end of, uh, of this little book. It says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. Speaking of David. His word is on my tongue. That is the Spirit's job. The Spirit's job to speak the words of God through men to God's people. And of course, you know, in 2 Peter 1.21, any, any of you who have been in Awana will have memorized this, this verse. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word that we have in our hand, the inscripturated word, is the word of God. We can trust it. It's reliable. It's authoritative. It, ha- it exercises um, authority over our life because it's from God. And it's spoken by God to God's people. Of course, as we went through 1 Peter chapter 1, we were also acquainted with the the same kind of work in the prophets in verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11 says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That's the Spirit's job. The Spirit's job is to speak through the prophets of God, the very words of God, so the people of God can follow and obey that word. The Spirit speaks or spoke the word of God. Next, we'll see that the Spirit regenerated Old Testament saints. And that's just a fancy word for new birth. It's a fancy word for you must be born again. The work of the Spirit in, in turning dead spiritual hearts and raising them to life, this regeneration, this resurrection of spiritual life, this spiritual awakening that is happening for them. That's the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament just as it is a work of the Spirit in the New Testament. We see, again, this interchange between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 7. Jesus answers Nicodemus and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then Jesus, these pointed words to Nicodemus, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? How is it possible, Nicodemus, 
that you have memorized the Torah, you know it by heart, you have studied the scriptures your entire life, you have risen to prominence in Jerusalem, and you don't understand how spiritual life comes. How is this possible? This is elementary. This is basic. This is foundational to having a relationship with God is realizing that you can't activate spiritual life without the work of the Spirit in you. It was true of the Old Testament saints just as it's true of the New Testament saints. Confirmed for us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, where Moses is recounting for the people the law and wants them to know how following God will happen. The Lord, he says, your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. This is a work of God. It's always been a work of God. And so, so often when we come to the gospel and we come with this polarity in our hearts that sees the Old Testament ministry of the Spirit so different from the New Testament ministry of the Spirit. We, we think somehow that the Old Testament saints could activate some sort of spiritual sensitivity in their heart and then do what God asked them to do, independent of the work of God in their life. And the testimony of Scripture is that can never and will never be the case. Spiritual life only comes by the work of the Spirit. Next, we see the Spirit promotes holiness. The Spirit promotes holiness. A holy God loves a holy people. And a holy God cannot bear with those who are unholy. The psalmist, many of you have read and maybe memorized this psalm in Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12, where David echoes this ministry of the Spirit by saying, Create in me. A clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. The work of the Spirit in promoting holiness in the hearts of his people, creating this and cleansing a heart and giving them this willing spirit that wants to obey. That is the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit in the Old Testament is the same as the work of the Spirit in the New Testament. The Spirit is also present. The Spirit is also present. We see this throughout the testimony of the Old Testament, but but the, the most prominent and probably the most, um, the most memorable for you is in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, where the psalmist says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The transcendent presence of the Spirit, that where we are, the Spirit is. Spirit is present and delights to be with the, his people. And even in the Old Testament economy, that same characteristic or feature of the Spirit is, is evident through the Scripture. Next we see the Spirit is the one who stirs the hearts of men. 
It's the Spirit who stirs the hearts of men. As we were working through Ezra in Nehemiah, we saw this come front and center in our study. We saw from Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 5, this ministry of the Holy Spirit in activating and stirring the hearts of people to do what God had called them to do. Ezra 1.1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it into writing. Jeremiah had foretold 80 years before what would happen, and God, through his Holy Spirit, activated the heart of Cyrus to write this proclamation so that God's word would be fulfilled. And the people would then move out from Babylon and would move into, back to Canaan, because of the same ministry of the Spirit as we see in verse 5. It says, Then rose up the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Obedience happened because the Spirit's work in stirring the hearts of the people of God to do what God had called them to do. Judges chapter 13, verses 24 and 25 kind of give us a a clearer, perhaps, uh, indication of the Spirit himself doing this stirring work. That's why we can make the easy connection to Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 5. The woman bore a son and called his name Samson, The young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him Mahanan Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. It was the Spirit of the Lord who stirred the heart of Samson, stirred the heart of Cyrus, stirred the heart of God's people. It is his ministry to stir and activate the hearts, to do what God has called them to do. We also see the Spirit of God teaching God's people throughout all of the the New Testament. But again, to go back to to Nehemiah, the study that we did, where the people, if you remember, they were listening to the word of God. There is this sense of conviction on their hearts that, that God is working in their hearts to draw them to a place of recognizing their bankruptcy, their spiritual bankruptcy. And then they pray and give thanks to God. And in Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 20, we see part of their expression of gratitude to God for teaching them. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach God's people. Also in Psalm 143 verse 10, the psalmist says this, teach me to do your will For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. This ministry of the spirit in teaching and instructing the hearts of his people, informing them of God's word so they could begin to obey and have a heart to do so. Of course, we know the spirit came upon God's people. A number of examples of of that happening, happening for Othniel, in Judges chapter 3, verse 10. Happening for Joshua in Numbers 27, verse 18. Happening for Gideon and for Jephthah and for Samson and for Saul. 
the Spirit of the Lord coming upon them for a special work, a special ministry, setting them apart from the people, calling them to, them to special authority and special religious oversight so they could accomplish the work that God had called them to do. It was the Spirit of God that set them apart for that ministry and qualified them for that work. That spiritual work of coming upon them and enabling for that, them for that work. And then finally, we see the Spirit empowering God's people. The Holy Spirit empowering God's people for special work. In Exodus chapter 31, verses 2 to 6, we see this ministry of the Spirit in calling out Bezalel, in calling out Eliab, in calling them to special ministry. It says, See, I have called by name Bezalel. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze. And behold, I have appointed with him Eliab, and I have given to him all uh, all able men the ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And with this tabernacle and with the furniture and with the garments and vestiges of the priestly garments, God had given special ability through his Holy Spirit to accomplish the work that he had called them to accomplish. What's the point? What's the point? Well, the point is that God's Spirit was present. The point is that God is the one who is the author of spiritual life. It didn't happen one way in the Old Testament and happen a different way in the New Testament. Certainly, it was limited, selective, temporary, external, but that work was there, and it set the groundwork, it laid the groundwork for the expectation of what people would come to know and look for and expect in the life and ministry of the Anointed One, the Messiah the one who would be foretold by Isaiah in several different occasions where they were, we're going to look at this morning. The one that Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So let's turn our sights now on the ministry of the Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. We can see and appreciate his ministry in the Old Testament. And now we can begin to understand and enjoy and appreciate the ministry of the Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. And there are two aspects I'd like to draw your attention to this morning. First, I want you to know that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. That's what it says here in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This word anointed is the Hebrew word for Messiah the anointed one, the one who is anointed. Those who were anointed were separated for a special task. You know that David and King Saul were both anointed and they were anointed and designated with special authority for a special assignment, given special uh, giftedness and power by the Spirit to fulfill that work. Jesus, not anointed by a person or a priest, but anointed by the Spirit himself, raises the ministry of Christ to the utmost level. And so his ministry, being anointed by the Spirit himself, draws special attention to the work that God will accomplish through his Son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11, 
verses 1 and 2 also draw attention to this ministry of the Spirit in the life of, of this servant, Jesus Christ. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That was the expectation. Something would be categorically different um, in the ministry of Jesus. Something would set him apart from the rest. His ministry would be punctuated by the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Wisdom and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord would mark his life in ministry. Of course, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in the form of a dove, that anointing ministry that begins and thus propels Jesus into the public ministry he will have. That ministry that we see in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, where Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returns from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And then in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. This evident work of the Spirit in the life of Jesus that moved him where God intended him to be, empowered him in the ways that God wanted him to work. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, we find that the Spirit of God comes upon Jesus to give him the authority to cast out demons. In Matthew 12, 18, we see that the Spirit speaks through the life and ministry of Jesus. Behold, my, my servant whom I've chosen, he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. That's what we can expect. This ministry of the Spirit to accomplish in the work and life of Christ, the ministry that was upon him, it characterized his, his life and purpose. Next, we see that the Spirit of the Lord upheld him. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. We also understand that the Spirit of the Lord upheld him. Well, what does that mean? Again, Isaiah chapter 42 speaks about this, this coming servant. What will his ministry look like? Notice, behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. This word uphold is the word to grasp, to seize control, to give aid, to, to provide support, to lead to a successful outcome. This is what the Spirit will accomplish in the life of Jesus as he's upholding him, enabling him, empowering him for the ministry that God has called him to. He will also keep him, notice in verse six, he will preserve, maintain, protect. Well, in what way then did the Spirit accomplish this ministry of upholding and keeping Christ. After all, Jesus was God. What help did he need from the Spirit? Since Jesus was fully God, to what degree did the Spirit empower? And why was this so important? Of course, we understand that the Spirit set Jesus apart as early as his conception 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, uh, the angel comes to Joseph and says that Mary will conceive by the Holy Spirit. And why was this significant? Why was it important that the Spirit would mark the life of Jesus from the very beginning? I believe it's because of what we find in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Notice this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? What in the world is that about? Well, we recognize that Jesus in emptying himself did not empty himself of divinity. Jesus was always fully God while being fully man. But there is an emptying that's taking place here. This word which means to cause to lose power, to come to nothing. Paul may give us some help in a couple other references. In Romans chapter 4, verse 24, he uses this word when he says, for if it is the adherence of the law who... Uh, who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, he uses this word again, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of power. So what kind of emptying are we talking about? One commentator puts it this way, Jesus Christ emptied himself completely of every vestige of advantage and privilege, refusing to assert any divine right on his own behalf. He who created and owned everything forsook everything that Jesus laid aside. Although he had access to them, although he was God, he laid aside the expression of deity so that in every way he could live the life that he's called us to live, that he did become a servant, a slave. He did robe himself in humanity. He took upon himself the form of a servant in every way. He, he, uh, he gave himself access to the Holy Spirit and depended fully on the Spirit's power and the Father's leadership in his life. So that, so that the statement that we find in the account of Luke chapter 2, where we find that, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, means that he really did grow. It's not just theoretical. It's practical because he laid aside the expression of his deity. He did not access it so that he could depend completely upon the Spirit to accomplish in his life all that God intended so that he really could, as Hebrews says, become the high priest who really can sympathize with your weaknesses because he really was tempted in every way, just as you are, just as I am, yet without sin. The wonder, 
of Jesus, setting aside his glory, allowing it to be concealed, setting aside the, the riches of heaven and laying it aside, becoming poor for our sake so that we could become rich, laying aside the expression of deity so that he could depend completely upon the Holy Spirit and the power of the Father in providing direction for him, just like we have access to. He was in every way tempted and in every way became the example for us to show that this Christian life that he came to give us access to, we can live in the same way. And so we then transition to the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the church. (laughs) And so as Jesus not only sets the example for us, but really lives a life that he's called us to live, this purpose statement of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of Jesus is also, must also be true of those who call themselves followers of God, who are also indwelt by the Spirit, who also have access to the words of God through the Scripture. We are called to the same purposes, and so the ministry of Jesus through the power of the Spirit is the same ministry that we are called to. We need to answer this question as we talk about the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the church, what is the baptism of the Spirit? What what is this after all? Jesus, when he was baptized, encounters John, and John draws attention to Jesus as the preeminent one. John answers the crowd, he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What in the world does that mean? And there's all manner of idea of what the baptism of the Spirit is. Jesus begins to answer that question for his disciples in Acts chapter one, just before his ascension to the Father. In verses four to eight, he quotes John the Baptist and then defines what he means when he says, Acts chapter one, verse four says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Notice, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The baptism of the Spirit is the present power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of every believer, which began for these disciples in this transition period of of moving from being Old Testament saints to being New Testament saints and the, the witness of the Spirit in their life which birthed the church. So that Titus chapter three, verse five is true for us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When does that happen? That happens when repentance happens. That happens when cleansing happens. That happens when the Holy Spirit washes us. When does all of that take place? It happens at the moment of conversion, the moment of faith. When you come to the place of recognizing that you are a sinner, you come to the place of understanding that apart from God, you will be judged in 
condemned to eternity in hell because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is the only way, the only truth, the only life, that no one comes to the Father except by him. Faith in Jesus, asking for forgiveness of your sin turning away from sin and turning to God. And then the indwelling Holy Spirit comes and does this work of regeneration and washing and cleansing in your heart. This baptism of the Spirit is a one-time work of God for those who believe, for everyone who believes. And because of the ministry of the Spirit in us, There is a role of the Holy Spirit to play out all of these things that we see throughout the rest of the New Testament. (laughs) The role of the Holy Spirit. And you can see that it is is expansive. All the things that the Holy Spirit does for God's people. And we're not going to go and look at each of them. I have them listed there in your study guide to just draw attention. So you can just step back and marvel at the goodness of God in, in letting his Holy Spirit work out spiritual life for you as you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit in his word and seek to nurture this abiding relationship with God. Notice as I step through this list, the Spirit regenerates every believer The Spirit illuminates the believer, gives you access to truth, helps you understand the Scripture. The Spirit intercedes for the believer. He helps you pray. He helps you talk to God. The Spirit equips the believer for ministry. He enables obedience. He strengthens us for the spiritual battle we face every day. He produces spiritual fruit in our life, the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and so on. It's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies the believer. It's the Spirit who seals the believer for salvation. It's the Spirit who points to Jesus Christ. The Spirit who comforts our hearts. The Spirit who convicts us of sin. All of those things the Spirit does for us, for every one of us who have a saving relationship with Jesus. So how does your life bear fruit and testify to the work of the Spirit in your life? How are you showing out the fruit of a changed life because of the Spirit's presence? Are you accessing the ministry of the Spirit in your life? Are you allowing your life to be full of the Spirit? That's a continual work of God that shows up in singing and hymns, songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Gratitude in thanksgiving, in praise. One of the things I love about the Apostle Paul, and uh, especially in weeks in which I have conversations with people that have been going on for a long time and you, you want them to listen to God and they just will not seem to do it. But the Apostle Paul, what a great testimony. He is so committed, so confident in the work of the Spirit, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so the Apostle Paul just continues to lift up gratitude for dysfunctional churches and dysfunctional people because he believes in the power of the Spirit to do a work in a life. And so he prays and pleads with God to do a work 
And so as you have people in your life, your heart may be breaking for them because of things in their life that you know are out of step with the things of God. Trust in the Spirit to do a work. Believe that God can accomplish that work because the same Spirit in the New Testament that regenerates hearts and leads to truth and draws them to obedience is the same work of the Spirit in the Old Testament, the same work of the Spirit in the hearts of every believer. Ask the Lord to do a work because He's faithful. And believe in the power of God to accomplish His work in the lives of people that you love and in your neighbors, and in your coworkers, and in your family, whoever they may be. Trust the Lord to do the work in the life of those you love. Oh God, thank you. The Spirit of the Lord was upon your Son, Jesus. And that Jesus showed us what the Christian life can look like because he lived it. And he supplied it for those who believe in him. He draws us into the spiritual life as he draws us into himself. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and that is you. And because of the unity that you've created in yourself, because of faith in Jesus, God, we pray that your spirit would accomplish that same work. The same work that we see in Christ would be born out as fruit in our lives and give us the same confidence and the same ministry to show the gospel to those who are around us, to carry out the mission that you've called us to carry out. And may we see the work of God among us. And those who encounter us, may they know the presence of God truly is in this place. Thank you, Lord, for what you've accomplished for us. May we be faithful day by day to bear fruit of that work of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming this morning. God bless you.